people. It's your girl, Frederica McClary Easley. And I'm back with another episode of Bum 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 Bum. The people are blunt. As y'all can see, I have a king with me today, also last name King. So it's also fitting. But before we get into uh, who's here with the blunt people, let me take care of a little housekeeping. So first and foremost, good people. Y'all know we are on all the platforms, YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Prime, all that good stuff. Please go check us out. Thumbs up, like, su like, subscribe, do all the good things to let us know you're out there. Um, we greatly appreciate it. In terms of merch. So y'all know we have the water bottles. We have shirts. Look, I came prepared today, y'all. <laughs> And you want to get, you want to go on to the people's uh, ecosystem.com to get your merch because we um, are going to have some new logos coming out. So you can have OG merch that shows that you were down from day one um, and that you plan on staying down. And last but not least, our new uh, product, Tosi Treats. So if you're on the West Coast, if you're in Cali, um, you can pick this up at a number of places. If you're in Sacramento, if you're in Los Angeles, um, and if you don't see it on the shelves, then you should ask for it because it is a brand, a minority owned brand. And we know how important it is to make sure that we are supporting each other. And I just said a mouthful. And so uh, without further ado, what up, dude? Uh, what up? What up? Thank you for having me on the show. I'm so appreciative of that. <laughs> so I really think that like you need no introduction, but for those who don't know, for those who are not used to seeing your face, are not already subscribers of what you do and your podcast, um, please introduce yourself to the people. Sure. Actually, I would need an introduction. I'm, I always say to myself, people don't know who you are. You should always introduce who you are. But um, my name is Mecca. I am host of the Cash Color Cannabis podcast and CashColorCanvas.com and everything else that's Cash Color Cannabis related. Yeah. Um, I'm a journalist by trade and I got into the podcasting world back in 2016 now. So we're now actually going on seven years of the Cash Color Campus podcast. And, you know, we can get to the little story of how we even got to the podcast a little bit later. But yeah, we've just been doing that for a minute. And thank you again for having me on the show. And thank you for everybody who's ever listened to Cash Color Campus podcast or supported Cash Color Campus in any way. So um, I've been a follower of your work um, since I came into the cannabis space. So I guess basically going on three years now. And I was so excited uh, because I got a chance to see you last year in 2022 yeah. at uh, the Black Canna Conference in New Orleans. This is why it's, it's important to like go to some of these events. I know we have to be selective, um, but you get a chance to really kind of tap in with people who, uh, who you love and you feel like you already know. And so I'm excited about today because you're all about having good conversations and that's what we're about over here. And so um, I'm ready for the vibe. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. So first of all, what is your earliest memory of cannabis? You know, what's funny. My earliest memory of cannabis has to be, um, and I'm a native of Boston. So for those who don't know, or those from Boston, I'm about to give you a really descript view of where I was when I had my first experience of cannabis. So I, um, one of my aunts, um, she used to live right off Morton Street. She lived in an apartment building off Morton Street. And my mother would go visit her every weekend or so. And she'd always take me with her. 
And I would open the door of the hallway and I'd always get this distinct smell, but I didn't know what it was. You know what I mean? Like, like at the time when I was, cause I'm at this time, I'm probably like four or five years old, but I used to get this distinct smell every single time I walked into this, in, into her building. And it used to turn me off. I used to almost hate going into the building. Cause I'm like, what's that smell? Like every time I go up there, cause I knew she smoked cigarettes. I, at that point I was only used to her smoking cigarettes, but I'm like, sometimes whenever I'm in these hallways, I smell all this other stuff. And like as I grew in my life and I really figured, I started figuring it out. Matter of fact, I was in college before I had the epiphany as I was smoking. <laughs> I don't want to give myself away, auntie. But as I was smoking a blunt outside of your apartments with my cousin, I thought to myself, this is what I've been smelling <laughs> all this time. <laughs> I'm walking your building. So that was my first experience. I was probably like four or five years old and I was introduced to it inadvertently just by opening um, opening a door of apartment building in Boston. So you had the uh, the aha moment, the the Prince Hakeem, like the taste the soup moment. Yes, it was <laughs> like, then. It was then. I, I knew something was in the air. I just didn't know what it was, but something's in the air. I love it. I love it. And so you said it wasn't until college. Yes. That that's when you started partaking yourself. Yes. And so was that more of your friends were doing it and so you wanted to do it? Or what was the motivation behind you actually starting? The motivation was actually boredom, to be completely honest with you. I was I was I played basketball for a majority of my life. So even when I first consumed, I was actually on a basketball trip. I went to um, I, a school I ended up going to was North Adams State College at the time. But now it's Mass College of Liberal Arts. But I was up there for a trip to visit the basketball coach. And while I was there, like three of my friends from Boston were already there. They were already freshmen at the time. So I was hanging out with them. I ain't going to get their names out because they might be watching this show and be mad. But um, I was hanging out with them and one of them pulled out a bong. And at that time, I had never smoked weed ever a day in my life. I've always been the don't do drugs guy. Like, like I just it was just me. Like, it wasn't like I was necessarily against it, but I just knew what I wasn't going to do. Mm hmm. So we was in this room and we started, she pulled out the bong. She asked me if I wanted to hit. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, when in Rome, I'm like, I'm like 18, 19 at this time. I'm like, I've actually never, ever, ever, ever tried this before. You trying a bong first. That's yeah, my first my cool. first time was a bong. I know it was some pretty good Reggie in a bong because um, it was four of us smoking. And I, I always remember this moment because we had a whole real life argument <laughs> that involved whether or not the noodles that's in ramen noodles are the same noodles that you put in chicken noodle soup. So that argument lasted for hours. We walked, we, we ended up smoking. We ended up going to two parties and through every place we went to, we were still debating and even asking people, yo, let me get your opinion. The noodles and ramen noodles, these are the same noodles, right? Like, like I can just transfer these noodles. It's not like a special noodle or nothing like that. So that's how I remember. That was my very, very, very first time. It was, it was then. And even then, it took me a second to smoke after that because it wasn't just a regular routine in my life. Um, but as I got on, as I started getting older in college, as a matter of fact, um, one of my teammates at the time, his boy's name, his, his nickname was Callie. Callie used to, was from California and he used to smoke weed and sell weed. Okay. So um, even then, I didn't smoke with him, but he talked me into selling it one time. And that's a story in itself because I actually did sell weed. I sold weed for a grand total of four hours. Uh, it was between 10 a.m. and about 2, 10 p.m. and about 2 a.m. before I said I'm done with this. And I remember giving him the pack back and saying, bro, these people is knocking on my door way too much. I'm tired of this already. I gave him the money. And I gave him the bag back and I said, I'm done. You but said, it wouldn't be it wouldn't say, be too I don't want to be the man. Yeah, I, I didn't want to be the man. I didn't want to be the man at that point. 
it, but it wouldn't be later, like probably another my sophomore year. And this is due to a good friend of mine who was a writer, who was a writer who really inspired me to, to be a writer, be honest with you. Her name is Charity. She was consumer. And um, when I was kicking it with her. I just want to point out the theme that's going on here where there are women. Oh, yes. Life, yes, they were. Right? It, was, it was black women. Black, black women, women introduced me to cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> but Charity did. Me and Charity, man, that was my girl. And um, we used to write and smoke. Like she really got me into smoking, get your creativity up. And what we would do is we would smoke and we would go out to Wollaston Beach and we would write poems or we would write our regrets and burn them in the air. Like we were really got, I, I got that deep at one point in my life. Like we were, this is, this is where I was. Like, this is where you I was. Like brother to the night or something like you. Okay? I, I was, I was, that's how my name, that's even how Mecca came about. Like I even got a story about that because you know, there's um Liz Miranda. She's actually a state representative now in Massachusetts. But at the time we were all in this program called En-ROADS. And at this moment now I am smoking. This is junior, junior in college. Like at this point, this is what I do. Okay. And, um, we was about to do poetry. I actually used to write poetry and Liz did too. And we was having this whole conversation because at the time Liz's nickname was Conscious. And um, I was like, Liz, I need to come up with a nickname. Like she, cause we was gonna do a poetry reading in Dorchester and she had convinced me to do. And I was like, well, I need to come up with a nickname. I can't just go on there as Rodney. Like Rodney, you know, Rodney's not a poet name. Like I need a poet name. So I asked her how she got the name Conscious. And she said, well, I literally went into the dictionary and I started looking at words and whatever word jumped out to me in the meeting, I stuck with that. So I did the same thing. I said, all right, so boom, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to um, dictionary and pull out a word. And for something led me, and I ain't going to say something, it was easily God's plan, led me to the, the letter M. And I started flipping through M, flipping through M, and I got to the word Mecca, M-E-C-C-A. And the definition of Mecca is center of all activity. That's one of the definitions. And I said, well, if I'm on stage and I'm doing this poem, I guess technically I am center of all activity. I'll be Mecca for that. And Mecca's been my, my pen name since... 2000 now 2001 has been my pen name like we we've been going hard since then so shout out to all the black women and the Cape Verdean women in my life who have brought me a nickname brought me to smoke brought me to writing brought me to all that shout them out you know uh one of my closest friends is from Cape Verde uh, her name is Tanya and um I met her in New Orleans and I remember meeting her and they just have these like big personalities. And I remember her knowing like seven languages. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I just felt so like, like I had wasted my life. I'm like, how do I not know another language? And you over here, like just flipping from Portuguese to French to Spanish to Italian. Some to of my favorite moments was hanging out with Liz and some of her cousins in Dorchester when we was in all in inroads together because yeah, the Cape Verdean culture is very like, it's very diverse and it's very right. um, rich when it comes to their history and when it comes to the language and the food. It was just really dope. But I, I do want to salute all them beautiful black women yeah. for really, yeah, bringing me to weed and bringing me to a nickname. Okay, so you mentioned that um, you your your ritual was smoking and then writing. And so yes. is, that, is that still a staple of yours? It is still a staple of mine because even now with this new project I'm working on, it was a lot of um, consumption, you know what I mean? It was a lot of me smoking and kind of getting back into the bag I was in when I first started writing that day, we, even when me and Liz were talking about doing poetry, I kind of mm -hmm. got back in that bag where it was just quiet, um, I, it, whatever music I listened to was real deliberate. Like it had to be somebody who I felt would, would inspire me. The shows I would watch, everything got real deliberate for okay. the last two and a half months as I worked on this new project. So yeah, writing and consuming is still tied hand in hand with me when it comes to 
really opening up my full creativity and what we know we can do down to even conceptualizing images and some of the things I want to see for artwork. Like all that really comes from really sitting down and just really being with myself and being in myself with the smoke. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So give me something from your playlist. What's on your something. playlist and something that you watch that like something that you intentionally watched. Something that's on my playlist right now. Um, I actually said I created a playlist called um, Thank You. That, that literally was my whole inspiration to write in what I just told you, the project I'm working on right now. We're going to get into it. Yeah, we're going to get into it. But um, it's Jay-Z, thank you, from the from, from um, Blueprint 3. Yeah. Black Sheep, um, the choice, not not the choice, it was Black Sheep, Flavor um, flavor of the Month is on there. Um, KRS-One, KRS um, Love's Gonna Get You is on there. Like, I got a... I got a couple of those records. Also, the Doobie Brothers, What a Fool Believes. Um, Prince, <laughs> Prince, um, Prince is on there. Um, um, I'm a star. That's on my that's on my playlist right now. Yeah. Okay. And when it comes to what I watch, I've actually, you know, thanks to thanks to COVID, I really became a YouTube person. Something I thought I'd never say out loud. But there's certain shows on YouTube right now, such as um 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 wall street millennial down to wrestling with regret which is a wrestling podcast i watch religiously simply because i like the way they produce their shows and again it's something that inspires me watching somebody do something out the realm of what i do and watching how they create it and how they consistently put out this this type of um work really yeah. inspires me so yeah um we have wrestling with regret um wall street millennials another one cold fusion is another one i love watching shout out to spencer cornelia too i like watching spencer cornelia a lot um, if y'all don't know about Spencer Cornelia, he yeah. he exposes frauds in in finance, and it is hilarious. I love watching him, man. He's he's made a lot of enemies and a lot of friends. If you know who Bandman Kibo is, Bandman Kibo hates Spencer Cornelia. Called him a racist for calling him a, a, a scammer. Wait, wait, you racist? Like somebody call you racist for for pulling out or calling out they scam? Oh, ain't nobody call me racist. No, I'm talking about. <laughs> Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He sure did. He sure did. And I was like, I could have swore you was probably pretty proud of being a scammer, but it's so funny that he called this man a racist for calling him a scammer. But well, not only that, but like, I mean, again, um, I feel like we devalue words. Like people just start using them and just throwing it out. Yeah. And so it's like, how how does being a scammer, whether you are or not? But how does that equate to racism? Anyway, well, he was, he was trying to say he only points out black people who do this, but I'm like, you don't watch this show. It's a, it's a ton. He's a, <laughs> like, he's he, is, he, he is very diverse in his selection of who is a scammer. It's pretty okay. good. But yeah, but those are things I've been, de I, I'm deliberately, when it comes to watching and what I listen to as far as what I consume, I've been pretty deliberate with. It's been things like that. And even when it comes to like network TV, I really like, like Abbott Elementary. I think that's really good writing, really good producing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really good, really yeah, good production. Like, I that's that's such an amazing show. Like, I really want to see them come back. Also, fell back in love with pro wrestling. Like, this is like, oh my gosh, like the last couple of days of the WWE with the bloodline. You talk about a soap opera that needs an Emmy. It's been so good. Yo, you know what? It's been years since I tapped in. Like, my wrestling days are back with um Jake the Snake and like Hulk Hogan. Like that was when I was into wrestling, but like I, so I'm so tapped out, but um, clearly it brings you joy because you have mentioned it four times. Yeah. It brings me a lot so, of joy. I love it. Love so it. Love it. Storytelling has been ah lately yeah. and it's just, it's inspired the kids. <laughs> yeah. All right. So hold on. Let's yeah. go back for a minute because 
we met, you mentioned, you started out mentioning seven years in the podcast realm, yes. but I know that especially with cannabis or specifically with cannabis, um, that wasn't where it started for you. My understanding is that you started trying to work on a documentary. Right? Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was all within that year somewhat. Like the documentary itself, the concept came in 2015. I believe we started fully filming late 2015 into 2016. Mm -hmm. And the documentary is called The Color Green, Cash Color Cannabis. And it was about the lack of people of color in the cannabis industry. And this concept was brought to me from a friend of mine, my man Royal, who is, um, he's a chef. And at the time he was telling me, I want to become a cannabis chef. This was again, 2015, we sitting in my apartment and we were smoking. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, what the hell is that? You know, and he started telling me again what it was, like infusing it with weed and all that. I was like, oh, that's wild. He said, yeah, you know, I got some edibles. I'll bring them over to you next time. I, and again, all this is brand new to my life. Right. Now, even a couple prior to that, a couple months prior to that, I was actually working in Denver. And this is around the time Denver went fully, fully legal. Like by the time I was there, Denver had dispensaries. Denver had gas stations that had whole um, pee kits and things like that. And you would walk around and people would even be smoking synthetic weed or real weed, but it was just all out there. And when I left Denver, I remember grabbing a bunch of magazines because that's how I learn about places when I go. When I go, like even when I went to London my first time back when I was in college, the first thing I did was grab a bunch of magazines. I wanted to know everything that was happening in London, especially music-wise. So I grabbed a bunch of magazines from Colorado, and I was reading about the industry, and I was reading about some of the stuff they were saying. And it hit me even then that I wasn't seeing no black people, and I thought that was weird because even like I mentioned from my very first experience of even smelling weed. It was in an apartment building in Boston that was full of black people. Like I never thought about it from another perspective. Yeah. So me and Roy was sitting here having this conversation. He was telling me I went to a cannabis conference. Now, again, at this time, new words to my mind. So I'm like, tell me more about this. You went to a cannabis like, conference. Can a conference like yeah, all this is brand new. And he says, yeah, I was the only black person there. So something hit me immediately. I was like, bro, how did you go? I said, for one, what was it like being the only black person in the room? I, that's happened to me. I went to a high school where I was this, the one black person in my senior class. So I, I understand the, the vibe of that. But why was you there? I was like, explain to me what was going on. And he was like, well, I was there to just learn about the industry. But yeah, I was the only black person. And I was like, that don't make no sense. Like this cannabis, all I've no, ever known in my life is black people and cannabis from, right. even if we're talking about Snoop Dogg, Method Man's, um, Biggie Smalls. Like I, I learned how to roll the blunt listening to Red Man's How to Roll the Blunt. Like there's no point of why I'm not seeing black people in this space. Like, what are you talking about? But he's, he assured me, he said, before he left that, that house that day, he said, I assure you, I, I, I was the only black person in that room. So right. after he left, I did a Google search immediately about cannabis. And I just started anything cannabis related, cannabis, cannabis legalization. I just started typing it in and I started seeing some names pop up. Like one of the names was Jesse Horton. There was Wanda James. It was a real select few names. But I was still like, why is there only three, four people popping up when this doesn't make any sense? It just started not making sense to me. So around this time, I'm actually working for a market research company. And that's what really, really clicked me to say doing the, the documentary. I was like, there's no black people apparently in this right now. And it doesn't make sense. But I also know that representation matters in all matter in all across the board. So maybe it's us not seeing ourselves in this that's making people not want to do it. So I started thinking about a concept of how I can do it. And I thought to myself, maybe I could write a story because I am a journalist. I, since 2007, that was my first professional writing check when I did for XXL. But since 2007, I've been a journalist. I've been a paid writer. So I said, let me, um, maybe this is a good story to write. 
So I started reaching out to some of my friends who were editors for websites, editors for for super name magazines out, out currently still living. I reached out to them about this story idea I had. And when I say to a man, and these are friends of mine, friends to this day. Nah, we can't do that. We can't run that. We can't talk about drugs. We can't do that. We can't, we can't do that, do that. It got to the point at one point, man, I told my boy, um, well, he doesn't work there no more. I told my boy, Jay. I said, Jay, at the time that we're having this conversation, Wiz Khalifa is on the front page of your website with a whole blunt in his mouth. Why can't we have a story? And he texts me back, come on, Mac, you know that's different. And I was like, now I, I need to make this documentary. Now, what do you mean it's different? So I said, okay, so if they're going to take it right in, let me see if I can film something. So I put my couple of dollars together and we went, me and my boy Danny, we went to New York, we went to DC, we went to LA during BET Awards. We went and covered wherever we knew we had access to, to ask people about, you know, cannabis. Like we're watching this new industry kind of pop up. Why do you feel like we're not seeing black people involved? And it went well. We did that for almost a year, uh, almost a year. But as anybody knows, especially filming documentaries, you could bump your head when it comes to finances and coming to the end game. Like, what was I going to do with it? Like, what's the purpose of it? Like, you know, just overall, you just want to make sure it's making sense. Right. And it wasn't fully making sense to me at the time of how I'm going to keep this this going. Yeah. And then it hit me like a it hit me like a like a like a like a bag, like a bag of potatoes in the head. I was doing an interview at the studio I currently work at now, Live Hip Hop Daily Studios. And um, even then I was doing an interview for the person who's now my audio engineer, my man, last man, good, last name, good. We're doing his show and he told me, yo, man, come on my podcast and discuss this documentary. I think that's a cool idea you have. And my next words with him was, what the hell is the podcast? Because <laughs> at that time, that was a new concept as well. We are talking early 2016. I said, what is the podcast? He explains to me, he says, kind of like an online radio show. I said, so why don't you call it an online radio? Anyway, I'm not going to go back and forth. He's going good about this. I ended up doing the show with him. And um, after we did the show, I remember asking my current producer right now, Herb, he runs the studio. I said, bro, do you have any space over here for another show? I said, you know, I was telling my issues with the pot, with the documentary. And I said, maybe if I do it as a show like this, it'll give it some more longevity. It'll give me some more creativity. Maybe it'll draw the people in who help me fund this. I said, I told him all my whole story. Yeah. And he heard my story and said, the only day we got open is Tuesday at nine o'clock. If you can make Tuesday at nine o'clock work is yours. And since December of 2016, Tuesday at 9 p.m., we have been doing Cash Color Canvas podcast, and we've had everybody from Freeway Ricky Ross to um, Kwanzaa Hall in the studio. Shout out to my girl Inse Ufat, who's executive director of Nat of the New Georgia Project and works closely with Stacey Abrams. She's been a guest. We have had amazing, amazing guests come through to discuss not just cannabis, but discuss the black experience that the can the black cannabis experience overall, which from what I whittled down over my seven years includes these three things. It's pop culture, politics, and past issues. Those three things are the experience of black when it comes to black cannabis is how we're viewed. We've always viewed it in pop culture, whether you viewed it negatively or positively is how politics have affected our community and how we view this plant and past issues, how past issues have tied into that. Like case in point, like in my household, from my mother to myself to my nephew, rest in peace, those are three different ways of viewing cannabis. My mother is a civil rights, um, is civil rights era. As far as she's concerned, a drug is a drug. Me, again, I told you, I learned how to roll a blunt listening to a whole song called How to Roll a Blunt. I didn't really think it was a big deal. And then you have my nephew, 
who grew up in a world where he saw a black president illegal weed. As far as he's concerned, all this is okay. That's three different different ways of looking at stuff in one household. And that's the typical way, that's typical for a black, for a black household. You're gonna have these very different views of this one particular thing. So um, as we go on, we like I said, we've been doing that for seven years now, and we've been having these amazing conversations, and I've been blessed to have some amazing guests come through and really share some great experiences and really help me expand even my, my thought of what cannabis means and what cannabis use is and why I personally use it and things like that. Like, I really, I really love it. It's really been my personal therapy, and it's been something that's, that I really, um, I'm, I'm probably one of the more proud moments of my life of things that I've created. First of all, I love that. And I love the breakdown um, because I think you're absolutely right. And I don't think it's just the black experience. Right. I mean, I think it's the black experience, the Latinx experience, yes. I mean, black and Latinos, um, you know, depending on which generation um, are are very conservative or can be very conservative. Yes. Yes. True. Depending on where you're coming from. Right. Like um, so. So a question for you, because I know that you're really reflective and you spend time with this and through your conversations. But as we are in this like fight to normalize, right, as we are pushing the agenda um, and we have some people who are OK with cannabis at the medical level, right, what we consider mm -hmm. uh, an acceptable like traditional. Oh, they're they're a cancer patient. Oh, they're having seizures. So that's OK. But in terms of more for a wellness practice um, and or for many of us who grew up in urban environments or adjacent um, to the D.A.R.E. era and prohibition, and we are living with PTSD. Have you have you had conversations or have you figured out um, anything that has helped in terms of linking those generations, in terms of like breaking yes. through? Yes, it's been conversations. It's, it's totally through conversations. As you mentioned, people are accepting of you having cancer, accepting of you having leukemia. Maybe that's why they want to consume. The PTSD, the depression, the anxiety, when it comes to black community, them are three words that you're going to go drink some Tussin. You know what I'm saying? And, and you're going to get rid of that. And get you some ginger ale. Get you exactly. Some exactly. We don't take those things serious because no matter how much they have affected us over time, it's not something that we, we have. We have mastered the get over it and get through it. You know what I mean? So, yes, yeah, it's, it's conversation. Like right now. Even though my mother is still anti-weed, she lives in a city, in a state that is fully legal. She fully understands this. We can still have conversations about it to where it's not a negative or she puts it off. We can have now full conversations. And I tell her all the time, like we are a perfect example of what needs to happen in our community. It's just conversations. You don't have to like this. You don't have to want to consume, but it's, it's unwise for you to act like you could put your head into the in the sand and ignore it at this point. It's, it's absolutely absurd at this point. Come to grips with what you know. You don't have to you don't have to move off your pivot when it comes to what you feel. But it's OK to say, let's have this conversation. And I think me and my mother are a perfect example of that's the kind of conversations we need to start having. It starts slowly. Like the first time my mother even broached the conversation by having a, a conversation with me about cannabis, it was a interview that I did with Creative Loafing down here and I sent it to her in the mail and she was reading it and my mom calls me up and she says so I'm reading this article about you and it's talking about the cannabis and I got a question and I was thinking oh damn she about to ask me about my own use. The cannabis. Yeah 
She didn't yeah. ask me about my personal use. She asked me, she said, so is this why Ray Charles used to get arrested all the time? I said, yeah, yeah, we here now, yeah. That is why he used to get arrested all the time. Him, Louis Armstrong, he used to, yeah, the jazz era. You met my father yeah. at a jazz club. You totally get it now. That yeah. is why. <laughs> so now we can have these kind of conversations that's open, you know what I mean? Like I could talk to her about um, politicians in Massachusetts and the fact that there's going to be a dispensary in our neighborhood, Mattapan, that's that's coming up. And yeah, we could talk about those kind of things. She still shrug her shoulders and say, don't mean nothing to me, but right. at least you told me. Thank you. Right. right. And you know what? And also, that's okay, right? It's okay if you don't want to do it, yeah. but don't prohibit others, right? Or you don't have to um, be so boisterous and so judgmental about what other people are doing. No, and we're dealing with that right now with the black church. Like we had our, our last episode of the year last year, we um, tackled a topic that Jamal Bryant started. Jamal Bryant's pastor down here um, at New Birth. Yep. And he had the conversation of he wanted to have more brothers, to bring more black men into the church. He said, I want to have more brothers who smell like weed. I want to be able to grow weed in our backyard so we have all this land. So I had uh, Robert Robert Allen. He He's a minister, activist, and teacher, and he's done years of work in this space and he came on the show and we had this full discussion about the disconnect between the black church and cannabis overall and i thought he made a, a amazing point when he was talking he said um often the black church has been locked into laws that are not only man-made but have been man-made to take down the exact people that you're preaching to and he said now how tied into you how tied in is your church to the law than they should be to what is just happening in their neighborhood and, and, and a, not adapting, meaning just falling in line. But as Christ said, meet these people in the place that they're at. That's Have right. you ignored doing that because of the law that has been put in place and you're so busy trying to fight with this law? I thought he made amazing points, man. And that's the episode that's available to stream now if you do want to listen to that. But yeah, it goes back to them kind of conversations. We need to have more broader conversations about that and stop being so pigheaded about what you feel like you just know. Well, and I feel it's interesting, the state that you're in, right? So you're in Georgia, but specifically you're in Atlanta. And yeah. so you're in this city that is so blue, right? Progressive, you know, so much oh, black yeah. history. Yeah. Um, but the state in and of itself is Not different. so much. Right. I, I mean, I'm dealing with the same thing because I'm in Austin, Texas, right? So like you have Austin with, you know, whose tagline is keep Austin weird. Keep Austin weird. Right. <laughs> uh, but then, I mean, outside of like Austin, Houston, Dallas, then you have like the rest of Texas. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of politics, I mean, it's so interesting um, being in these places where um, you have a huge difference between cities like major cities and the rest of the rest of the state yeah we live in that yeah i do live in that and it's a, it's a big difference you know because um it starts again with it starts again with with like you had mentioned the place we are at is very liberal in this conversation you know um kwanzaa hall when kwanzaa hall pushed the the when he first came up with the concept of decriminalizing cannabis in the state of in, in fulton county in the city of atlanta he announced that on our podcast that was like one of it was the first year and then he went and made that happen that was super dope he yeah. wasn't alone like clarkston did the same thing but slowly but surely we started seeing more counties in the in, around the area start decriminalizing but decriminalizing the plant didn't didn't change a lot of thoughts in people's minds who are outside of Atlanta, which is where I feel like you're having a lot of um, issues even moving our MMJ program forward. The people outside of Georgia still don't want to get on this train 
for whatever reason you want to chop it up to. I mean, I would really think it's kind of silly at this point, especially with the the that this is a state that's like Alabama, like South Carolina, so many other states in the South. You're built on agriculture. So why is this a thing to you? Like, why is this a problem to you? Like, I don't I don't get it. Aside from the fact that, you know, we want to just talk about the elephant in the room, how much money the the legal system makes by criminalizing this plan and how strong police lobbies are when it comes to politicians and it comes to getting people elected. That's the only thing I can tell you that's that's an issue right here, that you still have people who profit so much off putting you behind bars that they don't care how legal is going across the, the world. If they if this is taking money out of their pocket, they're going to fight this every chance they get. And they're going to do it through through media. They're going to do it through politics. They're going to do it through every which way they can to remind you that this is wrong. If you ever even turn on Fox News, to hear Fox News still kind of kind of distribute reefer madness era levels of yeah. issues with weed, it's ridiculous. Because I can't you. I promise you, there's plenty of people in that in that room. There's plenty of people in that production room. There's plenty of people in that building who smoke weed. You can't tell me that you have seen these massive um, issues <laughs> that, that that you but, keep trying to give to the world. You think you can't tell me that? But it's the face of it. I mean, we have to we we have to shout out the campaign that goes back to the jazz era where we first can we first yeah. had this renamed to marijuana, right? Um, and the the narrative was like, you know. Your, you know, white, pure women are going to these jazz clubs and they're being influenced and they're being taken advantage of. Fall in love with black men. <laughs> for, for, these black, for these black men, you know, who are playing these instruments. And yeah. Creative and these smooth talkers. And then we got people coming over the border. So when you think about fear, mm -hmm. anytime someone feels like, and, and, and I would say, there are some who are magnificent at building these campaigns and with that rhetoric. Yes. And so fear is still attached to it very much so. Right. And that fear gets transferred. Right. We've seen that fear during um, during Trump's era. Right. Like during his presidency, where issues illogically, you know what I mean, were presented and were attached to this fear of something is going to be taken from you. You're going to lose something. Yeah. Um, you are at risk. And so that's still what is attached to, to cannabis. And I would argue that until, until people have a personal connection, because that's when people care. Like that's when, that's when we stop being individuals, right? Yeah. It's like when we are personally affected. And so until it really like gets into their community, the same way, look at the difference between crack and opioids. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Until you until your child is popping pills, now it's an issue. Now you 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 100% correct. It has to become a personal thing, which is sad to say that you have to personally be affected by something. You have to have a personal attachment to something before you um say that this is this is something I'll at least have a conversation with or see if this is something I'll at least be open to. I think the same thing even with Alan Peak. I remember when Alan Peak, he was a senator down here in Georgia. And um and I really don't want to miss I don't really want to um um speak out of turn because I almost slipped my mind exactly what he did. But I feel like he did that the same thing. You found a young child who was suffering through um seizures and you felt that you found out that this CBD plant, well, this CBD that comes from this plant could actually help to the point where you use your personal plane to help this person get that kind of medicine, something that's totally illegal. You know what I mean? But you 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 that you did that. 
that's that's it took something personal to make you to make you make the, some of the stances that you made in Georgia when it comes to, to when it comes to CBD use. Yeah. I don't know if that would have been the case if he didn't have that personal, you know, that personal attachment to his life. Who knows? We might still be in the we might still be one of the one states that that's, that doesn't have an MMJ program at all. You know, what I mean, if that you didn't have if that didn't at that moment didn't happen. Who knows? Yeah. But it does take a lot of personals for people to really get things. I mean, it just is what it is. It's, it's, it's human nature. You, you need to have an attachment to something to know why it's wrong. We can even go back to watching some of the from George Floyd to what recently happened. I keep hearing about, well, they said for their mama, they said for their mama, they said for their mama, which made black, white and other mothers feel some kind of sympathy for what they saw versus Trayvon Walker and Trayvon, Trayvon Martin, excuse me, versus Rodney King or anybody else. You didn't have any sympathy for that. You, 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 you wrapped your, you wrapped your head about what was going on. And I do got to go soon. You wrapped your head about what was happening. So, um, so wait, I know we got, I know we got to go. Yeah. Uh, we are all trying to, we are all, uh, look, running a million miles a minute here. So this is going to be the first of many conversations. Yes. Um, I am plugging on the um, ticker down below all of the places that people can, um, can holler at you, see what you're doing and make sure they check out cash color cannabis. But yes. before I get you off here, okay. Um, uh, we got to talk about this new project because I'm super excited I know a little bit about it, um, but what can you tease to the people? What I can tease to you is um, February 7th, I'll actually tell you exactly what's been going on. It's been something I've been working on for two years now, and um, really it's been an inspiration. It's been something that's been on my spirit for a while, way before I even did Cash Color Cannabis. Like, it's just something I knew I wanted to do. So um, I've been working on this in private. You do know about it as well as several other people. And I thought about it yesterday. There's literally several, like there's 10 people who know this is this is happening. But by February 7th, there's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of people who know. And just understand, I took a page out of WWE when it came to the, the rundown and how I was going to release this information to you guys. It's really been superb storytelling. <laughs> and when it does drop, just remember, I have been influenced by WWE, Roman Reigns and the bloodline. Y'all definitely reminded me of what slow storytelling means and what it means to not give people all the information all at one time. I feel like we die of that so at, at this point, oversharing. Now, I could, I could hold this to myself. Y'all can get in drips and drabs. Like, trust me, you're going to love it when it come out. Listen, first of all, um, WWE, we need to talk about sponsorship because uh, Mecca really love y'all, okay? I do, uh, man. I fell back in love with wrestling, man. The storytelling this year, this these last couple of years, again, Chef Kiss It really inspired <laughs> me and reminded me that long-term storytelling beats quick shots and quick conversations and quick announcements every single day. Well, and you know what? I miss that. I miss that. To wrap it up, um, let's just... Let, let's. Wrap it up with, hey, people, um, quality deserves to be digested slowly. Yes. And we have gotten away from that. Yes. We have gotten away from the single releases and the um, world premieres of videos and yes. albums lasting for summers and for you know, for years, like we've gotten away from that. And so um, when we're when we're thinking about cannabis and when we're thinking about this energy, this industry and our love for the plant, all of those things deserve to be digested slowly. Yeah. So February 7th. Tune in. I got y'all.
Awesome. All right, Mecca, it's been so good. Thank you for coming on and talking to the people again, first of many. Um, but I'm going to let you go. And hey, people, y'all already know what it is. Stay blunt. Thank you.